My name is Caitlin Hanberg, and my family and I have been attending Hillcrest for the last year and a half. Um, and I will be, and I'm also on the worship team. Um, I will be reading scripture today from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then you eat and are satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Thank you, Caitlin, for reading the word of the Lord to us this morning. Well, good morning again. I do want to uh, just share how excited I am. I just, <laughs> I've got lots going on inside of me right now, and I'm, I'm really pumped about what God has been doing. Um, I think that testimony video that we saw of Kent, I've been, I've been sort of in the know for months about that story and how it's been developing, and uh, it's just been amazing to sort of uh, just get updates. I think I'm always bugging Kent about it. It's like, tell me about the bin. Tell me about the crop. Tell me about, you know, and now we're sort of seeing the full result of that, and it's just, it's great. But it's just a snapshot of one person's walk of faith with God. That's just what it is. And, and I pray that you would all have experiences uh, maybe you're not a farmer and maybe the bins won't be involved, but that you'll have experiences of that walk of faith with God where God shows up in ways that you uh, are surprised by and that uh, and really that they, they confirm again that God is alive and well and God is leading and guiding in our lives. So I'm sure there'll be more stories like that uh, that will emerge in the, in, the, in the next season and even in the years to come. Well, today we're talking about launching a, next, a legacy for the next generation. Uh, we've called this series Launching the Next Legacy. Uh, we've talked about, let me just recap, we've talked about a kingdom first legacy. we talked about a legacy of generosity, a legacy for the city, a legacy that lasts forever, and today we're talking about launching a legacy for the next generation. So what is the legacy? Now, just want to make this clear, because after Kent's story and the giving total that we just shared from the leadership in our church, you might think that the legacy is all about money, but it really isn't. Uh, to quote Pastor Dave Wicks, faith is the legacy, not finances. Faith is the legacy. And now genuine faith in God shows up in our finances. It shows up in our family. It shows up in how we work and, and, and how we play in every area of our lives. But it's genuine faith that we want to pass on to the next generations. So I've got a great video I want you to watch with me. Let's listen to Cam and Carrie Lewis. They're going to sort of introduce us to some of the uh, journey they've been on in launching a legacy for the next generation. So watch and enjoy. 
Hi, I'm Carrie Lewis and this is my husband Cam. We've been asked to talk about the blessing that we've experienced because of the generations who've gone before us and how that's inspired us to want to leave a legacy for the generations who will come after us. My life began right here in this church. I was blessed to be in a home with parents, Phil and Carol Lewis, who desired to know God and recognize the need to belong to a community of believers and modeled for us a life of service within that community. Hillcrest had many examples of people who loved God, loved others, and served sacrificially so that others might experience Him. In my childhood, it was Sunday school leaders like Ethel Verity and Don Nordine. Later in my youth, it was Merv Hartley who graciously drove me to youth group and retreats and concerts all over the province where I would deepen my knowledge and love for the Lord. I too was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor who was raised right here in Moose Jaw by this church. I had many youth leaders and mentors who had a huge impact on my life. We were provided the opportunities and encouraged by our parents to attend youth group each week, camp in the summer, do short-term missions, and attend Bible school once we were done high school. These things all created the framework and solidified our desire to serve Jesus with our whole hearts, wherever we were and with whatever we did. When we got married, we found lots of ways to continue to serve in the church, leading young adults, serving on the board, and caring with women's ministries. There were many models for us as we entered this stage as well. Leaders like Ron and Linda Francis and Darlene and Alan Buchanan. Despite our youth and relative immaturity, these people made room for us to walk and learn alongside them, encouraging us and helping us to gain confidence in leading. Once we had our own kids, they quickly figured out that serving was just a part of our family's DNA and we're so proud of the ways that they've been committed to youth group, serving in kids ministry, tech team, food drive, etc. They spend their summers at Kettleston and are now both at Bible school. As we know, it takes a village and we're beyond grateful for their children's and youth pastors, teachers and camp counselors that encourage them in their faith journey. We all know that there are never guarantees that children will choose to follow Jesus, but we are extremely thankful that the legacy is continuing in our own family. In 2012, we felt God leading us into something beyond our careers, and we took on the leadership of Kettleston Gospel Camp. Kettleston was a place that many people had sacrificed so that young people and families would be impacted by the gospel, and it was a place that likely had the most influence on both of us. What a gift it was to train staff and LITs and see campers encounter the living God. When I think of what legacy we might have left, I don't think it would be the buildings that were constructed or the improvements that were made. While those things were absolutely necessary, it will be that people of all ages learn more about loving one another and loving God. I also hope that we created a legacy for the young people that we led so that they would continue to serve others while bringing the good news. We're so grateful for the legacy that we've experienced and believe much blessing comes as you make intentional decisions and choices to choose things that are Christ-honoring to model for your families and others in your sphere of influence. Help your kids to know and understand where you've come from. Whether you can point to many generations who follow Jesus in your family history, or maybe you're the first believer in your family, write your story down, knowing where you've come from, helps pave and inspire your path forward. Like Cam's mom always prayed, I don't care if they dig ditches for a living or are a pastor. May they know you and love you with all their heart, soul, and mind.
To me, legacy is about hope. Those who went before us would never have been able to predict all that would come, and we cannot foresee what the future holds, but we can rely on this one thing. Jesus is the hope for the world, and he is faithful to all generations. Wow, that's great. Did you, did you catch who the next generation is, according to Cam and Carrie? They talked about their parents' influence, and they talked about how they how were trying to influence their own children. And, and uh, so obviously, the next generation is our kids and our grandkids. But they also talked about other adults who influenced them in the church. And they mentioned some by name. That was great. And, and the efforts they have made to influence other people's kids as well. So it's our own kids and grandkids, but it's other people's kids and grandkids that are the next generation. Now, when it comes to other people's kids and, and grandkids, maybe, you know, I don't know how you think of it, but it's almost like you, they're your spiritual kids. They're people that you come along and in some way you sort of adopt them in, in caring for them or paying attention to them or, or loving them or, or uh, you noticing them, all those different things. Um, I, I think there's so many people in our church do this very well. You love your own kids, uh, but you also love other people's kids and you've invested yourself well into their lives. Uh, one couple that comes to mind is, uh, I haven't asked, Mentioned, I mentioned them this morning, but Duncan and Laura Blackman, I think, do a very great job of just investing in other people's kids. And in this season, I know that they've invested very heavily in a lot of newcomer families coming to Canada and into a relationship with them and then their children. Uh, but the illustration I wanted to share was just about my own kids. Um, when Laura was on staff, she was on staff here as our prayer and care pastor, and then before that, our, that, our office administrator uh, for, I think, 19 years here at Hillcrest. And uh, so we worked together pretty much our entire time together here at Hillcrest. And one of the things she did was she kept a wall in the office, just like you might have a wall like this at home, where she would measure people's heights. And uh, she started with our kids, and uh, then she started other people's kids got in the mix. But I can tell you, um, she did a better job of keeping her measurements on her wall for our kids than we did at home for our measurements on our wall for our own children. And it came to the point where we, if we wondered about how tall our kids were at certain ages, this matters to our boys because they all want to be the tallest. When we wondered about what was the actual record of how tall they were at the younger ages, we'd come to the church to check it out because it was more accurate than the one we had at home <laughs> that we ourselves did. So just an illustration of just the way that you, you uh, see and care for and hope to influence in a good way uh, the the people around you in the church and even in our community. You notice them, you care about their growth, and you celebrate them, just like Laura did with her wall. She celebrated our kids' growth. Uh, she even measured me on that wall and then was excited that I was as tall as I was. I, <laughs> it's nice to be loved. It's great. Um, so when we're talking about the next generation, we're talking about kids in the church. We're talking about kids in the community as well. Did you know that there's 8,000 kids between the ages of 0 and 19 in our community? 8,000. And, um, and God cares for each and every one of them. 
So I tried to imagine who I'd be speaking to today when you're talking about the next generation. You're probably all coming from different angles. And so I thought, I thought of parents of young kids who wonder when the sleepless nights and the diaper stage will end, or if it will ever end. <laughs> I thought of parents of older kids who've gotten a taste of freedom and they can't wait for more. I thought of empty nesters who suddenly are surprised how much of their life used to revolve around their kids, and now they're establishing a new pattern now that the kids have moved away. What about parents with boomerang kids who've come back to the nest as adults, and they're trying hard to negotiate a way of living together again? Then I thought of divorced parents who only get their kids part-time, and they really want to make the most of those hours that they have with their kids. I thought of parents who are estranged from their kids. There's something happened in their relationship, and some, some, in some ways it's not like it used to be. And they're wondering what they can do to see this change. I thought about parents who are praying for their kids, and they need the encouragement just not to give up, to keep praying. I thought of grandparents, some of whom are just spoiling their grandkids and then sending them home to mom and dad. And then I thought of other grandparents who, who intentionally are not spoiling their grandkids because now at this stage in their life, they're playing a more significant role in raising their kids than they ever thought they would. And then I thought of other grandparents who have very limited contact with their grandkids and they wish that they had more. Then couples who don't have kids of their own but want to influence the kids that are in their sphere of influence, in their lives for God. And single adults of all ages who desire to make an impact for God on the next generation. And anyone who interacts with the younger generation and wants to be a good influence. Whatever background you're coming from, wherever you're coming at, I hope that what we're going to share here this morning will be pertinent to you and helpful. See, in the verses we read, uh, that Caitlin read to us this morning, it talks about a danger our kids will face. Maybe you didn't hear a danger in those verses. But this is a, a, a danger for our kids, the kids in our lives, and the 8,000 kids in Moose Jaw. They're also in danger. And so let's go back to our scripture, and we'll, we'll discover the danger together. And I'm going to reverse engineer here this morning, starting at the end of this passage of scripture, and I'll make, work my way back to the beginning. So Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 12 says this, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you, are, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this generation of Israelite, well, this is spoken to parents, this passage, about how they should engage with their children. And um, there's sort of three generations to think of here. There's the first generation that cried out to the Lord. They were a nation of slaves in Egypt. And they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard them, and he sent Moses, and they delivered them through all sorts of crazy miracles and great stuff, and, and led them uh, right to the edge of the promised land. And they got there. And they defied God, and they said, we're not going in. We're going back to Egypt. 
And going back to Egypt was a theme throughout the, this whole, uh, you know, bringing the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. This is a theme. They often would get to a frustrated point or they would uh, stop trusting God and they say, we just want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. We don't want to walk in the freedom that God has for us. We want to go back to Egypt, the land of slavery. So that was the first generation. They got right to, the, right to the border of the promised land, defied God, and said, no way, we're not going in. And then God said, as you wish. And they were not allowed to go in. So that whole generation that had defied God, they went back into the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years in the Bible is sort of like the biblical number for a generation. And so 40 years later, after living in the wilderness, they come back to the border of the land, and the new generation, the younger generation, this time they say yes to God, and they're going in. And it's this generation that said yes to God here at the border that Moses is speaking to. Deuteronomy is the second retelling of the law. The law was given earlier, but he's refreshing it for them, and he's, he's actually uh, expounding on it a little bit to help people to understand their relationship with the God that had freed them from slavery. So they've seen God's provision and protection in the wilderness. They've experienced the blessing of his love and leadership in their lives. And they come and been given a land full of good things. Uh, and they weren't good things that they built. Like there's cities and there was houses and there's vineyards that were someone else's. Now you say, well, hey, that's not fair. God had a rule about this land. If you follow, if you follow God, you can stay. If you defy God, you're going to get turfed out. And so the Amorites who lived there, God had been patient with them, 400 years of patience. But they continued to defy God, and so God turfed them out of the land. And you say, oh, well, that's God being unfair, you know, gives the Israelites what the Amorites built. But you know what? God had the same rule for the Israelites. And when they defied God and continued to defy God in their history, God eventually sent them into exile. They were turfed out of the land as well. So here they are. And it's the instructions that they're getting via Moses uh, coming into the land. So here's the danger. Here's the danger. I mean, the good thing is there's a greater freedom in our lives when we're wholehearted in our love for God and, and when we obey him. But there's a danger in our lives that when we get satisfied, like we get satisfied, and it might be satisfied with the things that God has provided for us. In this case, it would be. We get satisfied with those things that God gives us, we, and we get fixated on them. It's almost like what God gives out of his hand, we love more than God himself. And we forget God. People have a tendency to forget God and what he's done and what he commands. And in doing that, they return to slavery. They return to slavery. See, God had set them free. God would give them freedom. He'd give them, but, but sometimes we just don't see freedom the right way. We don't see freedom as it is. Uh, imagine a fish is swimming in the, in the water of the ocean and just sort of says to himself, man, this is terrible that I'm restricted to just the ocean. I mean, I've surfaced a few times and looked around, and there's other stuff out there. There's trees, and there's ground, and there's grass, and all sorts of things to explore in this world. And, and I've been restricted to the ocean. And if that fish gets enough energy up and enough of a jump on it, maybe that fish actually can get out of the ocean and get onto the land. 
But when they get there, they'll realize not, they're not free at last, but they're, they're, what they've gained, their freedom actually means death. I think we're a lot of that way, a lot of times we're like that too. We, we think, I don't want to live under the, God's commands, under his guidance and leadership in my life. I don't, wanna, I don't want him to be in charge. I want freedom. And God will grant us that freedom, but it isn't really freedom. It leads to slavery. I was talking to my oldest son. He's at college right now, and uh, we're talking about what he's going to do next year. And so we talked about lots of different stuff. But one of the things that came up in the conversation was how much he wanted to be on a really good basketball team again. When he was in high school, he, uh, he played on a team. And the coach was a really good coach, but a very demanding coach. I mean, you did your wind sprints. You did the drills right. If you didn't play right in the game according to what he had said you should play, he'd yank you out of the game. Uh, Javen once uh, forgot his uniform, he showed up on the bus and realized it wasn't in his backpack. And the coach said, you're benched. So he traveled all the way to Assiniboia to watch his teammates play. I remember how mad he was afterwards. I remember how ticked off he was. But his coach had very strict rules. He was a demanding coach. But out of that, he got the best out of the players. Everybody knew their role. Everybody knew the expectations. And for three years in a row, I think I've got this right, they managed to win the JV championship here in Moose Jaw. Three years in a row. And they were never the favorites going into any of those years, as far as I could tell. They always started out a little rough. Other teams would beat them early on the season. But they would form into a, a formidable team, and they would eventually uh, win. And so he said, I want that again. I want that again. I want that... That, that coach who's demanding for my good. And that's what God is. God is demanding. He, he, he says, these are my commands. You, should fo- you, you need to follow them. But it's for our good. Some of you in the workplace, you understand this dynamic. Um, if you're, if you're in your workplace, if everybody has freedom to do whatever they want, you're probably going to be unhappy. This guy's doing this stuff, and it doesn't work with when it comes down the assembly line, or it doesn't work when I'm working with this client, and, the, and there's all these different standards, and there's all these different practices, and there's all these different ways that we work. And would the boss just sort of work this out? Could the CEO come along and, and, and make this, you know, settle these things for us? You know, if you've ever worked for a really great boss, or, a, or there's a great CEO in, a, in your company that you're under, you know what it happens. You get the best out of people. And you all work together as a team. And you accomplish way more than you could have done as individuals. But what did you have to give up? Some of your freedom. When I was talking to Javen about this, I'm like, so you want a coach who makes you practice? He's like, yeah. You want a coach who, who disciplines you? Yeah. Why? Because he's tasted what that can do. So he will give up a lesser freedom, his freedom not to practice, to have a greater freedom, to be able to perform at the best of his ability in a game. And we all do that. We all do trade-offs like that in our lives. Like people who say, I I just want unlimited freedom. I want no restrictions on my life. Don't get married. And when you get married, I mean, you should. Maybe you haven't. But you, you give up half your rights. 
And what are you doing? You're giving up a lesser freedom. I want to do whatever I want. I want no restrictions on my life. But I also like her. Or I like him. And, you know, to make it work and for us to have the kind of relationship I really want, I'm willing to give that up. That's actually how marriage works, in case. That's how it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. We understand that. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. But, but that's what it's meant to be. All loving relationships are meant to be that. That's how love works. Love means you, you, you sacrifice some things for the benefit of the other person. That's what love is. Not just some syrupy sentiment. It's actually sacrifice. It's actually giving up some of your freedom so that you can have relationship. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. He came and he died on a cross. He sacrificed himself for us so that we can have eternal relationship with him. So the danger is that people who were once enslaved are freed by God. And then they're blessed by God. And then they're satisfied with what God provides. And then they forget God. And they become enslaved again. Even in the New Testament, Paul had to uh, write to different churches and rebuke them and say, you started out with the gospel, with the truth about who Jesus was, with trusting in him. But then somehow you got off track and, you, and it started to become sort of just religion again, where it was just all about you achieving your own righteousness instead of trusting in God's righteousness. And he uses the terminology in the, in the New Testament of like, it's like being enslaved all over again. And it's a danger that we as adults face, but it's a danger that our kids could easily face. So this whole pattern of forgetting God and becoming enslaved again and then needing God to free them again, this is the repeated story of the Israelite people. And it's the story of many families throughout history as well. Maybe grandpa and grandma came to faith in Christ. And then their kids, they continued in that. But maybe the kids didn't continue with, with the same passion. They hadn't really experienced the miracles of what had happened in their parents' years. And, and so it sort of was, they were Christians, but maybe not. They hadn't had their own adventure with God or their own challenge season with God that really uh, put strength into their faith. And then grandkids come along and, Maybe they're nominal in their, you know, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but there really is a lot of things has been watered down through the years. I think the goal that we want for the next generation is not that they have a watered-down version of what we have, but that they have all that we have and more in their walk with God. And so I think in a church, one of the things that's gonna, is going to help that is that we have to recognize that a generation coming after us is going to have to fight some battles that are new or different or unique. And my hope and desire is that they'll fight battle, those battles with greater effectiveness than I've fought them in my own generation. They'll live with a greater mission for Jesus' DNA than I have in my own heart at this point. But the way that they're going to walk in that is that we have to walk in some of the things that, you, that is being prescribed for the children of Israel here. So our response to the danger, just two things today. We protect the next generation from this danger, the danger of sin's enslavement, of living all for themselves and not knowing how to love and not having a love relationship with God. 
We protect them by what is taught. If you take verse 7 out of Deuteronomy 6 in the ESV, I like how it says it. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That's God's commands. Teach them diligently to your children. You might say, I'm not a teacher. Well, maybe not in the classic sense, but your life is proclaiming what you value all the time. How you live is teaching others. So Deuteronomy 6, 7 to 9, talk, you know, teach them diligently. Talk about them, God's commands. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. So it's basically saying squeeze teaching about God into every facet of your life, every aspect of your life. So the ones that are mentioned are at home, in the car. Well, I say in the car because it's winter and that's how we get around. We're not walking a lot. In the car, at bedtime and in the mornings, squeeze it into the cracks of your busy life. Here are some of the simplest practices to squeeze in. Reading the Bible. Read the Bible to kids. I've got a whole bunch of children's Bibles here on the front pew. I'm going to pull them up here later. Um, if you don't have, if you've got little kids, start reading them children's Bibles. We have about four or five at home. Uh, Pastor Laura, she has a way better collection, so I brought some of her Bibles today. I'll just put them up here. Uh, you can come up here, take a look at them. Maybe there's one that you would be great for you to read to your own kid. Well, take a picture of it, order it on Amazon, or just offer Laura Stackruck an offer she cannot refuse, you know? She's here. Hi, Laura. Well, if you volunteer in kids' ministry, that's an offer she can't refuse. There we go. But read to them, and then as they get to learn to read, get them to read it to you or to, or to read it to the family or to read it to a younger sibling. But reading the Bible, start with a children's Bible, and then as they get older, just go to the text of Scripture. Uh, if you don't have a Bible on your on your cell phone, then I would encourage you to get the YouVersion app. It's probably the most popular one out there, and it's got the most features that I know of. It's really handy just to, so, so many times when I'm, uh, so my son who's in grade three, when I put him to bed, uh, we'll read the Bible together. And um, I, it's, I've got it on my phone, so I'll just whip that open, and we're going through Matthew right now. So um, read the Bible together. There's lots of good Christian books out there. But what I learned from my first two kids, who are now older, and now I have two younger kids, is that I read tons to my older kids. I read a ton of books, good Christian books. But you know what? I, my regret is I didn't read as much of the Bible with them as I wished I had. So in round two, now that I get a do-over, you know, I had practice kids, and now I got the real ones. Um, <laughs> in round two, I'm reading the Bible with them a lot more. And that's been a priority because I realized, oh, I wish I'd read the Bible more with my older kids. And um, now I'm, I'm really going after that more with the second round. So read the Bible together. And prayer. Prayer is a simple practice. I mean, these are the basics, but it's the basics of what make you thrive. You know, you, there's lots of advanced, extra, bonus things, but it's the basic practice. Prayer. Pray for your kids. Pray with your kids. Ask them to pray for you. As early as you can in life, ask them to pray for you. Uh, my mom just has done this her whole life. She still does this. She'll phone me, and she'll tell me the need in her life, and will you pray for me right now? She's just keeping her kids praying. She's still making sure we are still exercising that in our lives. Um, I, I'll ask my daughter, who's she's five in kindergarten, and she was up here singing today. I'll say, you know, uh, 
can you pray for daddy? Like when I'm going to pray for her at night, I'll ask her, will you pray for daddy? And I'll try to think of a need, a real need in my life, not make something up. But so I'll say, you know, uh, daddy needs help writing his sermon. And then she'll simply pray, dear God, please help daddy write his sermon. It's word for word what I asked for. I think God hears that prayer. I, people are interceding for me to, when I come up to speak on a Sunday like this. That's awesome. Uh, my daughter's part of that with her simple prayer. And I think God delights to answer the simple prayers of children. And so I think that's great. Invite them into the prayer journey and even the answers to prayer. And then worship. While you can still win the fight over who is the DJ in the car or in the house, you should win the fight by playing worship music in your house or in your car. Otherwise, you'll be stuck listening to Baby Shark on repeat, and it will be so annoying. So my kids have asked me that. Can we play, ba- we play Baby Shark? On- no. No. No, we're going to listen to worship music. Aw. I'm like, doesn't matter. I'm winning this battle early because I know it will be harder when you're older. So I'm going to win it now. Right? Most of our, many of our staff families listen to the same uh, stuff with our kids. We listen to Seeds Family Worship. You can write that down if you need to. It, you can find it on your your. Um, it's probably Spotify and then your, your Apple stuff as well. So, Seeds Family Worship. This basically Bible verses set to music. You want to get the word into kids' hearts? Music is incredible. You can memorize so much better when you've got a tune to go with it. So, lots of families on our staff, we, we use Seeds Family Worship. I told my, my oldest son, he, he drives the kids to school and back. Uh, he's in grade 12. And I said, what are you playing in the morning? He says, well, whatever I like. And I said, stop playing what you like. Start playing Seeds Family Worship because you've got two younger siblings in the car. And this is the best on-the-way moment. You've got 15 minutes in the car, there and back. So let's just make it, that's what we listen to. That's what we listen to in the car. And so he's been great with that. So again, it's on the way. You know, when you walk along the road or as you're driving to school. And the other thing is, we teach kids here, by the way. Amen. We teach kids here. So join the volunteer team, and you'll learn how to teach kids about God by being with other people who are teaching kids about God and by being with Pastor Laura and other leaders. So I encourage you to do that. So this is the first thing. We protect the next generation from this danger of sin's enslavement by what is taught. And you, can, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know anything. It's just go on a journey together with your kids, right? You can learn right along with them. But... Make sure you, you squeeze it into the cracks of your life. A lot of it is just repurposing things you already do. You maybe have a bedtime with your kids. You maybe have a morning ritual with your kids. You're driving somewhere with your kids. You're already doing all these things. Just, just bring those things into those areas of your life. And here's the second one. We protect the next generation from the danger of sin's enslavement by what is caught by what is caught. Back to Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all, all your soul and all your strength. And these commandments that I give today are to be on your hearts. Uh, I love the contrast between the ESV, which says, teach them diligently, which I think is good, really good. And then the NIV, which says, impress on them. And for me, it's, it, to me, they sound a little differently. Teach them is like the process. It's, you know, teach them. I'm going to teach my kids. But impress on them is sort of like the outcome. So you could have teaching 
that doesn't quite get to the outcome. Like you could say, uh, like let's say you had a teacher and they said, I've, te- I've taught these children this curriculum. It's like, great. How they do on the exam? They all failed. Okay, maybe you taught them the curriculum, but it wasn't impressed on them or they didn't, uh, they didn't retain it, right? So there's, when you're a teacher, you've got not just that you taught it, but did, did it get received? And I feel like this is really important to, to point out because um, that's what we're hoping for. We're hoping to impress something on our children. So it's different. Um, yeah, we want, we want to impress that on our children. And the main thing God gives you to impress the things of God on your children is your heart is your heart. That's why I think, here, O Israel, the Lord is one. So there's one, there's one target, there's one uh, relationship, one main place to go for your heart's affection. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then later on it says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So God is one. He's the one who deserves your highest love. This is the one who loved you first, who loves you most, and desires to be in a loving relationship for all of eternity. So it makes sense that we would love him first in our lives, that he'd be our our greatest love, because he's shown us the greatest love. But it's also a great protection for our kids when parents love God with all their heart. And then... His commands are on our hearts. And God's plan for your future, your kid's future, is parents who are wholehearted towards God. Wholehearted love for God in you as a parent is a source of impressing a love for God in your children. And this isn't about perfection. This is about, like, you're a perfect parent. Um, I often try to remind my kids, you've got two father figures in your life. An imperfect one, and a perfect one. And I am trying to imitate the perfect one. But you know, as my kids, well, by a certain age they know, that I'm not nailing it all the time. And so I want them, I want this, them to know that there's a better father. I want them to know that there's a better father. Someday this father will be gone. And I want them to know that they're not fatherless, but that their better father's still there. And so, it's not so much that we're trying to impress our kids. In fact, some of our efforts to impress our kids about how spiritual we are have actually hindered our kids being impressed with God and how great he is. And so what I'm, I'm imploring you to do is give your kids windows into your heart on its journey of pursuing God. Like, for me... Um, when, again, I've shared this before, there was a time where my dad told us what he was reading in the Bible and how he intended to pursue God uh, to uh, have what the Bible was describing. And that was super impacting in my life. Because it was like, oh, my dad hasn't arrived. My dad is on a journey. My dad's on a faith journey. My dad is pursuing God. So this is all about telling stories to your kids. Tell stories about your journey in pursuing God, how you want more of God, how God has encouraged you, how he's fathering you. Tell, God, tell, tell about 
um, the, the ways you're growing and, and the encouragement you're receiving from Scripture and how that worship song on Sunday just hits you right where you live and you needed to hear that. So this isn't about painting yourself as the perfect example of, of godliness. It's about letting them know that you're on a journey and that you're pursuing him. So those are stories that give your, your kids a window to your hearts valuing and pursuing God. And I think this is true in the church. There's stories that we need to tell in the church. We've heard a lot of, I, I love this series, how we've had lots of little videos in it of people sharing their stories. Um, I was talking to a friend, a pastor friend, his name's Carl, and uh, many of you might know him. Anyhow, he just became sort of the lead pastor of his church, and he was saying, I said, well, what did you do, you know? And he said, well, I just talked about the, day, the greatest days of revival in my life, so there's some time in the 80s that were really amazing. And he just told stories of revival. And he said, and out of that has come lots of people who've come forward and said, I remember a time of revival in my life. So lots of people in his church are starting to share their stories of great times of where God was really moving in people's lives. And it's, he's, it's been great. People, it's sort of awakened a hunger within people for more of that. We have 100 years coming up. This next year is our 100th year uh, at Hillcrest. And we're going to tell stories. I'm imploring you who've been in the church longer uh, to tell some of the stories. And some of them will just be nostalgic, fun stories, and we love that. That's going to be great. But make sure you tell us the stories that have the potential of whetting our appetite for God. I'm going to ask many of you to tell stories in this next year about Hillcrest and its history. But tell us the stories that awaken a hunger within us. We'll pray that that happens as you share. Because we want we want God to work in greater ways in our church. I was reading uh, Revelation 2, 4 to 5, and just thinking about it, it says this. It's, it's, it's God talking to a church, it says, and, it's, and it's correcting a church. He, he said a lot of good things about this church, but then he goes, Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I read that and a chill comes into me because I'm like, Lord, what's the word you have for Hillcrest? All these churches in the book of Revelation, pretty much they got a commendation. You're doing good at this. And then a, this has to change. And I've, I've been just thinking about that. There may be things in this season of reflection of 100 years that God may call us to change. There may be some things, things that God will call us to repent about and to uh, turn to him for and maybe it'll come out of some of the stories of telling what God once did in our church. We'll realize there's some ancient wells of good things that God was doing that we need to redig, and we need to come back to. See, God is in the process of, of moving hearts. Malachi 4.6, he says, He'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. God's desire to soften the hearts of the generations towards each other. Sometimes in the, you know, things I see in the media, I see incredible disrespect in our world between generations. And we've heard it, many of you have heard it, you know, you know, a disparaging comment like, okay, boomer, or those millennials. So I'm a Gen Xer in between, so I feel like I can be a referee. We can't do that. If we want to be countercultural in our city, we need to, I mean, if you're in the younger generation, respect the generations that went before you. 
You don't, may not agree with everything they, they've chosen to do, just respect. That has to be just a given in the church. And if you're an older generation, then bless and, and, and advocate for a younger generation. I think we just, this should be the place where people go, come out of a culture which is biting and devouring each other, and they come here and they see people who show respect and who, who uh, are really walking in that. I think that should be a, one of the strengths of the church that we lend to the culture around us. We should excel in respecting our elders and believing in and blessing our youth. And that should especially happen in families. God wants to do a heart-turning miracle in you. And he wants to do it in me too. I remember this, I'll end with this story and just invite the worship team, you can come back. A couple years ago, I was invited to go to Weyburn and uh, they were wanting to do a set-free retreat. We were already doing them here at our church. We do do them every year in March. And um, they wanted me to come and be the speaker for their set-free retreat, the first time they were doing one. And the set-free retreat is, just as the name sounds, it's all about freedom in Christ, becoming freedom some of the sin traps that we get into. And so I was going down to speak there, and I ran into a couple I had known from years ago. And uh, they used to live in a different city, but now they lived in Weyburn. And so I said, hey, great to connect with you. How are you doing? And we chatted a little bit. I said, I said tell me about your kids, because their kids were kids years ago, but now I knew they'd be adults. So I said, like, how are your kids? And then it was a sad story. They said, well, um, none of our kids are, are living for God. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's tough. And they said, well, it's not totally true. Anyhow, so this is the story they told. They said, we've been, for years, our kids haven't been living for God, and so we've been, we've been trying to, you know, call them to turn back to God, and we've been, you know, trying to get them to, you know, shift in their thinking, and, all the, and everything we've tried has come across as nagging, or, or it's, it's failed, it's had no results, and stuff like that. And then along the way, Somewhere, God just got a hold of us in a new way and just started to talk to us about our own turning back to God. I mean, they weren't not living for God, but there was things that they were neglecting to deal with, and there was things that God wanted to, to work out in their lives. And so they began to turn back to God in a brand new way. And there was repentance for things in their lives, and they were, they were crying out to God for him to move in a new way in their lives. And God began to do a deep heart work in both of them. So when I come to this retreat and I'm chatting with them, they said, uh, we stopped nagging our kids about following God. And we just decided that we needed to go as deep as we could in following him. And God did a heart-transforming work in their lives. And at that retreat, that weekend, one of their daughters came home and turned her life back to God. I'm not saying that that result is going to be the result in all of our lives. But if we want to leave a legacy for the next generation, God, wants to, God is going to have to do a heart transformation in all of us. And I've asked the worship team to sing a song that we can just talk to God through. Basically, the, the essence of the song is, God, we're going to make room for you. We want to make room for you in our lives to do the deep work you want to do. Because we want something that spills over into the next generation. They won't see perfection in us because you can only see it in Jesus, but really, we want them to see that we value and we're seeking and we're pursuing our Lord. 
that we're loving him and we're un, we're, we want them to see the, the worth of Jesus and how we run after him. So I invite you to stand here at the end. And maybe the, the words of this song will be exactly what you need. Maybe you just need to talk to God through this song about the kids in your life or the next generation people that you would hope to impact for him. And then maybe, again, just be listening. I mean, listening with your spiritual ears. God might just give you some direction in that and how to approach that or how to shift so that that can be a reality for us so we can really see God do a work in the next generation.
talking today how many of you just you've been zeroed in on some of the next generation you just say I'm thinking about kids I'm thinking about grandkids I'm thinking about neighbor kids I'm thinking about people in our community that I think God is directing my heart towards or yeah okay let's just pray for them right now Lord we just bring these ones before you that we we want them to have all that they can have in you we want them to experience the freedom that's found in following you. Lord, we don't want them to live a life enslaved by so many other things that seem like freedom at the, at the outset but end up in, in slavery. So, Lord, we, we do want to see all that you have for these kids and for the next generation. And, Lord, give us a greater and greater vision for the kids of this city as well. Lord, I pray you'd give us a greater and greater uh, a way that we can engage our city. Give us the strategies. We don't have them all yet. Lord, would you give us the strategies? Would you provide in that way? But Lord, most of all, we ask, keep forming our hearts. Keep forming our hearts. I pray they turn towards our kids. They'd, I pray for the hearts of kids that are estranged from parents, that they turn towards parents. Lord, do miracles in family relationships. Lord, we just ask for these things. We know you're the only one who can, can do what we're asking. And so we just come before you in confidence and in trust. Yeah. Lord, thank you for the work you're starting. And Lord, we ask you to keep continuing it. Yeah. This morning, I'm just going to turn things over to Kurt. He's going to help us finish off here. Just uh, while we were thinking about um, praying for the next generation, some of you have been praying for, uh, Dave Wick sent out just a message earlier this week uh, saying, hey, there's a, a child uh, who's seriously ill with RSV. Uh, and many of you responded, hey, we're praying, Dave, we're with you. And they, you sent in some comments of encouragement and that kind of thing. The next update that went out was this, hey, they're holding their own, but keep praying. Maybe some of you saw that and responded and prayed. This morning, the, the child was sent home. And so thank you for praying, and that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing. And again, we want to continue to pray. If you have something to pray about, uh, we'd wel welcome you to come forward and pray here and now. Uh, also, earlier in the service, uh, there was a bit of a marathon video of, of featuring myself uh, about all the things happening around here at Christmas, and we just don't want you to miss out. There's good things that we want you to be a part of them. Uh, one of those things is happening tonight. Christmas in a Weekend performance is happening tonight. Please don't miss it at 6.30. Uh, it's going to be super fun. Uh, and we'd love to have all of you there to participate with us. Again, Christmas Eve service. Uh, make sure that's a priority for you and your family this year. It's going to be great. It's always warm uh, and, uh, and just a, kind of a wonderful time of, of marveling at the incarnation. Uh, and uh, again, Christmas Day, we're not having a service here. Uh, we just want to bless you as you're spending time with friends and family uh, and that kind of thing too. Lots happening in the new year, so don't miss out on what's happening. Bless you. Have a wonderful week. And as we go out, we're going to sing a song about, hey, it's Christmas.